Good morning. Good morning. Happy Thanksgiving. Merry Christmas. All right. Uh, I, it's, it's officially Christmas season, so all the tension's out of the room, friends, right? We can all celebrate now. So some of us that really love Jesus have been celebrating for a long time now, and the rest of you caught up. It's great. I'm just kidding, mostly, right? Um, I want to welcome you here today. Uh, this is an amazing season. We love this season in our community. And uh, in a second, I'll talk about a, f- a few of the traditions that we have here. But um, I want to share first this direct quote, right? As my wife was talking to a friend about when the right time to celebrate Christmas was, right? In our home, it's pretty early. Uh, I might be the major influence of that. And this is her direct quote. She said this, my husband turns into Buddy the Elf during Christmas, right? I want you to, is there a resemblance here? That's only in spirit here, right? So uh, any of my, my Buddy the Elf friends, we love you. Love this season as well. Um, a couple of things. As we move into this season, and especially in, the, uh, in this generosity series, there have been some traditions in our community that have been here since the beginning. Uh, announcements told us we have our giving tree that's set up out in the lobby. Um, you can grab an ornament there, and um, you can grab a denomination of money and give that for a gift card, and it goes to a family that's in need during this season. We also will have a service on the, the 15th and 18th of December, which we call a red envelope series. And, and I'll give a little snippet so I don't give the whole thing away so we can talk about it then. But basically, year one of Kessid, we felt a real call by God to uh, take our Christmas offering and give it away. And I'll be honest, that was one of those prayers when we heard that. We, it was like, God, are you sure? <laughs> because it was a scary thing to do. We were a brand new church. And every year, but thankfully and faithfully, we have partnered with a local organization. We've told their story. And we've, uh, as a community, tried to be embody generosity and give to them. So we will do that as well. And one of the reasons we want to tell you about that is just so you can be praying about that. Generosity here we th- we should never happen under compulsion or, or shame. And so you can be praying about that as well. But we have a lot of amazing traditions Uh, here in our community. And we know you have traditions as well in your community. We just did Thanksgiving. Uh, Eating is one, right? It's one of our amazing traditions that we have. And so uh, even watching our little little uh, intro video uh, made me hungry again for Thanksgiving, right? I wasn't hungry for like three days, but now I'm hungry again. So we still have some leftovers at our house. But we are in a series right now, all right, called What Can I Bring? And in this series, this is a series about generosity. And our deep desire in this series is that living generously would be a core value of our community. But going from being someone who engages in acts of generosity to being a person who lives a life of generosity can be a radical shift. So here's what I want to do today. I just want to begin with a question, right? And here it is. Do you really want to live a life of generosity? Now, I want to remind you of something. The scriptures tell us that our yes should be yes and our no should be no. So as you ponder, and I'm going to give you the service and however much time you need this week and to to ponder this, to prayerfully look at this, right? Because there is a very real cost to saying yes to being someone who wants to live a life of generosity, This means living the way of Jesus, the way of self-sacrificial, others-oriented love. And it is not arrived at simply by trying harder. And so for this reason, 
We wanted to talk about this as a community in this series. In the first half of this series, we are choosing to talk more about the things that keep us from that goal of living a generous life. So let's talk about a very real tension that exists today. I want to do so by giving you a very real life example. So I have recently uh, taken up disc golf. Anyone play disc golf ever? Yes. Yeah, so super fun. Uh, I enjoy it. I grew up playing sports and as I get older, there's less time and everything to do those things. But I, it has been something my entire family can do uh, together. So we do that. And I started going actually individually in the mornings and I find this little hack right, where I can go early, there's no one at the course, and I play, and what I do is I, I throw and I run, right? And so I've doubled up my, my exercise with my enjoying this experience time, and I can do the thing in like 15 to 20 minutes now, right? I just, if, if you watch me from outside, it's a really funny thing to see, to see a grown man just throw it. I realized, I preached this last um, Wednesday, and I realized I'm basically playing fetch with myself, right? <laughs> But it's fun and I love it, right? And so I go early in the mornings. It's one of my alone time things. And what I generally do is I have headphones in and I'm always kind of um, searching the scriptures and, and whatever topic we're going to be talking about. I generally just like to listen to some, the Bible, listen to passages and see what kind of um, sparks inside of me, see what the Holy Spirit sparks inside of me during that time. So it's my time in the mornings, right? So I go pretty early. This last uh, week I went and it was early. It was, it was like frozen out. And I get there to the very first hole, right? And I walk up and I have, I want you to just picture this. I, I am listening to passages about generosity, right? And I walk up to the first hole and there's something different. I've been here many times and I look and I have a picture that I took, right? And I want you to notice is something, okay? I don't know if you can tell, but that is $200 bills just sitting on the ground in the morning, all right? So again, I want you to go there with me for a second, all right? What would you do, all right? I'll be honest, the first thing that happened, this happens to be on a church property where this thing is. And I was like, looking around, like, I, I think I'm on camera right now. I think this is a test from the Lord or from them, whatever, and, they're, and I'm going to be a sermon element. And so, but then this, uh, this thing happened, right? And I, this is the tension that I want to name right now, is I looked at this, and I was like, not, I was like, what is happening? And all of a sudden, all, it was $200, right? All, all of the ways, like a slideshow, right? One after the other, all of the ways in which I could use $200 during this holiday season just like went over, just like a slideshow, just over and over and over again, right? And it, I'm sure no one here could use $200 and, and find a way to spend that or use that right now. And so, but as I sat there, and it was the most awkward thing, I wish there would have been footage of just me, like, I, I think I was, like, moving like this, like, just not sure of what to do. And this overwhelming thought came over me. That is not mine. It's not mine. Now, the way in which it was laying there just made it look like, if you've ever played disc golf, generally someone has a bag, and they come out, and they grab their bag out, and it basically looks like someone opened their bag and that money fell out of there and it looks like it was there from the night before that the money was frozen because it was cold, right? And it was clear that no one left it there for me to find and to keep and it wasn't mine. And so 
I grabbed it and I walked it up to the church and I turned it in there and I just said, hey, I don't know whose this is, but I'd love, I wonder if someone will call and search for it because I'm guessing they had their own plan for it. But if no one claims it, I'd love for it to go to the ministry here, you know, um, as well and, and be put to good use. What would you have done? Right? Can we, can we admit that in each of us, and some of us may be easier, there is a tension there? There is a tension there of what should I have done? Was that money mine to have? Finders keepers, right? What I want to talk about today is this tension. This tension between my needs and the needs out there. And that is one that we continually are called to wrestle with as Christ followers. In the book of Matthew, chapter 22, Jesus is asked the question about the most, the greatest commandment, right? Let's get, let's boil this down, Jesus, what's most important? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these commandments depend all the law and prophets. He says, this relationship, this connection to God should be cultivated. All of you should be, should be anchored, should be connected in that direction. And then this really unique thing is said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So who's first, neighbor or self? Jesus said, there isn't one, it's the same. And this is the tension that we continually have to wrestle into. When are my needs the ones that are most important and when are my neighbor's needs the ones that are most important? And our challenge as Christ followers is to balance our needs and our desires with the needs in our communities and the rest of the world. So how do we hold them at the same time? How do we do that? How do, we, how, do we, how do you know how to use your resources, how to use your time, and when it's the right thing to do? Some of us just seem to do this better than others, right? Some, some of us really are just good at being others-oriented or serving others. I know some people, my mom's like this, right? So just others-oriented people, they're always looking to serve and give to others. One of the most famous examples of this is Mother Teresa, right? We've all heard stories or know of Mother Teresa, but this week I was reading about her life and reading about her ministry, and it was really interesting. It wasn't as much the exact things that she had done. I was reading the words that people were using to describe the experience of her, and it was profound to me. I wrote, uh, I wrote down a couple of them. They said this about her. For anyone who has met Mother Teresa... The divine radiation was beyond words. Think about that. The divine radiation. What, something came out of her that pointed people towards God. Her life of simple humility, extraordinary charity, and devotion to prayer made her an exemplary instrument of God. Another person said, Mother Teresa let shine before others the beauty of God by living a life united to God's will. When they saw her, they saw him. When they saw her life, the way that she lived, they saw him. She was generous with her life, 
And because of that, people didn't just see a generous woman. They saw a person that was living into the image and likeness of God. See, for most of us, as we move towards that, I think there's a, there's a gap that exists. That most of us say, okay, so are, are you asking me to go from where I'm at right now to Mother Teresa? Because that's a Grand Canyon chasm, is it not? I think for us, we have to recognize that we, what we hope to do is not become perfectly selfless people immediately. No, our goal is for the generosity and goodness of God to radiate from us, to make a home in us until it simply becomes us. Do you see the difference? The difference isn't you white knuckling and say, I'm going to try to be more generous. The difference is that recognizing that we have a generous God that is continually uh, bringing that generosity into this world. And if I can allow that to make a home in me, it's not my generosity that's happening, but it's his. And over time, that just tends to change me. So why is it so hard to bring balance to all of this? Why can't we just white knuckle that? Well, I think Jesus had something to say about that. We, Danny preached an amazing message this last week talking about what's going on in, inside of us and this internal dialogue, this internal, internal wrestling that we have. And I'm going to continue some of that conversation today. In Mark chapter 7, if you could turn with me in your Bibles, there is an interaction happening like normal between Jesus and the religious leaders, right? And it says this in verse 1. It says, the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, right? This isn't just washing our hands, friend, putting some soap and washing our hands. This is, a, this is an act, right? This is a production. This is a, we have to do it this particular way. And this is a tradition in their community. I want you to, to hone in on that word. This is a tradition. You only do it this way. It says, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they came from the marketplace, they did not eat unless they wash. And they observed many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Those are strong words. This is a culture that looked in two categories, defiled and clean, All right? And who were the gatekeepers as to what was clean? It was these religious leaders. And they had built traditions to say, this is when you've entered into the category of clean. It's when you do this, this way. Now, Jesus just has this way of shaking things up, doesn't he? Right? And he replied to them. He said, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. Pause for a second. Jesus is asked a question. He's just eating with his disciples. All right, the religious leaders come in and they criticize him for what he's doing. And what Jesus does is he, he points to scripture that everyone there would have known and he says, you remember that scripture that we all learned, right? Talking about hypocrites? Yeah, that was, they were talking about you, right? There's already tension in the room. And he says this, quoting from Isaiah, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. And don't miss this imagery. 
He says, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. He gives this imagery and he says, for those of us that love God, our job, our role is to hold on to God's commandments, the way in which he is teaching us how to live and hold on to the way in which we are to live in this world. And he's saying to these religious leaders, you have somehow set down, you have let go of the values of God, the character of God, the heart of God, and you are holding your human traditions and you are passing them off to everyone around you as if they are God's and they are not. Friends, I, scripture has this way of being true for all time, isn't it? Could it be that we all have many traditions in our life? And I'm not, I'm not accusing, I'm just asking the question. Could it be that for some of the traditions that we hold in our lives, in our families, in our culture, that we have let go of God's character and nature and his heart, and we are sitting here holding what we have always done and thinking that is ultimate? And what would it look like for a community of people just to be willing to look, to submit those traditions to God, the things that we hold dear, that we think that we're all supposed to do? What would it look to submit them to him? Jesus gave us incredibly important imagery here. He's not saying that human traditions are wrong or bad, but he is saying that when we take our hands off of God's commandments, his kingdom values, over time, we end up holding our man-made traditions and passing them off as God's. And he is saying this really clear message. Don't let go. Don't let go. Don't let go of the way in which I am teaching you how to live and be. Now go back to our story. Verse 15, it says this. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, he wasn't done with this interaction. He's, he's gonna use everything. This is what he does. He uses everything as a teachable moment. And he says, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. I love, like, can we admit that there's a difference between listening and understanding, right? I am... I, giant culprit of this where I will hear something my wife says, but like, that's all that happened, right? Like volume went in, that's it, right? I saw like seven elbow nudges. I won't point at them at all, right? And we'll, I won't even look in directions right now, right? There is a difference between hearing and understanding. And he's saying, I need you to hear, and then I need you to do the work of understanding. And here's the, the, the idea of the work of understanding is that it happens over time. Right? Have you ever come to an understanding about something and then over time with experience, you come to a deeper understanding of it? And so that's the encouragement of this is that you're going to get this and then I want you to keep wrestling with it because I need you to understand it deeper and deeper and deeper. And Jesus says this, talking to a culture that is just looking at the outside, have you washed your hands the right way? And if you haven't, then God is not okay with you. That's their message. And Jesus says this, nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. This is radical. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. Jesus implored all that would hear to understand this radical message. He's saying to the religious leaders, you have this backwards. You were so focused on the external that you were neglecting what already lies in you. And then Jesus brings out this list, right? He gets really practical. 
Verse 20 says this. And then he added, it is what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. He's saying, if you don't do the work to understand that this, these are already in you, You're so worried about not letting them in that you're not understanding that the spiritual practices of God include us understanding and and wrestling with what already exists inside of us. Now, in this list, there's some really big, heavy things. We see see murder, um, theft, right? Wickedness. And there's one word in there that's really, uh, to me, it stands out. It's the word greed, right? It, It feels like it's kind of a smaller idea. Now, in this verse, when we see the word greed, this word in Greek actually means covetousness. Now, when's the last time you used the word covetousness, right? This is one of those Bible words that we just skip over, right? Never? Yeah, that's an act for most of us. That's not in our normal vocabulary, right? See, Jesus was rebuking the teachers of the law because they had let go of God's commands, right? And so for us, I want to spend a little bit of time understanding what it means to covet, right? The simplest definition I have found is this. To, to covet mean, means wanting what your neighbor has, okay? Wanting what your neighbor has. You see over there and you see what they have and I say, I want that, right? What I want to do is spend a few minutes, Jesus is saying, we need to pay attention and we need to not let go of the commandments of God. Well, it just so happens that God has a pretty famous command concerning the idea of covenant. In the book of Exodus, God is teaching the Israelites how to steward their freedom. Right? He is... He has granted them freedom, and now they are this big people group that is a a little bit did not have to um, decide what freedom should look like and how to live in freedom. And he recognizes we have to set some rules for this big family here, right? Or else we're going to move into chaos. And he is aware of what lies in their hearts, as Jesus was. So he gives direction as to how they should behave, right? And he gives the Ten Commandments. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through this, and I want you to notice a couple things. The first four commandments are going to be uh, us as people towards God, right? This is how we behave. This is how you should have a posture towards me. Then the next five commandments are going to be about how we behave with one another. And then the very last one is unique, right? So the first commandment is this. You shall have no other gods before me. Right? This is a culture that lives with gods all over the place. And God is saying, I am not sharing the stage with anyone else. I am in a different category. You shall make no idols. You shall not create an image because that cannot contain who I am. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. There is an honor that you are to have around the word, the presence of God. Keep the Sabbath day holy. There's a way in which I created you to live in rhythm, and I'm inviting you into that. And then it says this, honor your father and your mother, this sacred relationship that exists. We are to live, we are to to pursue connection and honor in that relationship. And it says, number six, you shall not murder that 
you do not have the right to take someone else's life. That is not yours. You shall not commit adultery. You do not have the right to commit to pursue someone else's spouse. You shall not steal. You do not have the right to take what is not yours. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You do not have the right to create to create a story that isn't true. You don't have that right. God is being clear about what is ours and what isn't to do. And then there's this very last one. You shall not covet. Now, the last five commandments were incredibly uh, practical. We can measure whether that happens. We can measure whether adultery or murder happens or stealing happens, right? But this one is a different category. See, thou shalt not covet is the last of the Ten Commandments. And the 10th commandment forbids coveting anything that belongs to a neighbor, including his house, his wife, his servants, his ox, or his donkey. I know you guys have been driving down the road and seen an ox and been like, I want that, right? <laughs> or anything that belongs to him. And this is where it gets unique, right? They get really practical. And this is why understanding for us is so important. Because if you just read this and you say, well, I don't have that problem. Friends, yes, we do. <laughs> that exists in us. See, it is impossible to see this being broken, this covenant, being broken in others because it is hidden in the heart where only God can see it. This is an idea that we have to understand and expand upon. How many of the conflicts that exist in our world today are arguing over what's mine and what's yours? Friends, this is a really important commandment. This is a really important idea for us to look at because we live in a culture that is willing to fight consistently. And I'm not saying we're not supposed to fight at times over what's ours and what's not. And getting that right, having a healthy perspective on ownership, on what's ours and what should be ours, and, and, and specifically the desires in our heart. We're in like... Like, we're, we're literally in the middle of it right now. Like, Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Um, there is entire marketing agencies and people at work trying to convince you of what should be yours. And they're pretty good at it, are they not? Right? Do you think it might be important for us as Christ followers to have some sort of balance, some sort of per perspective and all that, that that is deciding whether that should be ours? Or is it just about desire? Is wanting something enough, right? I don't have that and I want it and so it should be mine. Or could it be that there is a God that should be in the middle that serves as our filter? And could it be that if we don't have a way in which to filter that, we will keep We will keep filling our arms and our hands with the things of this world to, until there are, there are no hands left to hold on to the character and the values of God. This is important. So when we talk about covenanting, see this prohibition is not against wanting something but about wanting something that is not meant for you to have. 
Coveting involves turning our attention towards something in such a way that we expect it to make us happy. Saying, I want that, and, I, and where I'm at in life will change if I then possess it. Coveting turns our focus away from the source of life. See, friends, this is a problem of desire. We are constantly looking for something other than God to satisfy our souls. But we need to be aware that our strongest desire isn't necessarily our deepest desire. I'm going to say that again. Our strongest desire, right? This this silly example of this. Um, Sort of silly. Food. I've shared, I think, from this stage before, something along my journey, when I have a stressful day, literally like a magnet, my, my brain to cope with that heavy day says, Wendy's. I'm the only one, right? I'm the only one that wants to go to food to say, if I get that and I possess that, that will make me happy. And that kind of does for a second, Right? But then I have other deeper desires of being healthy and having healthy coping mechanisms and setting, not just that, but setting example for, for my boys about what we do when we're overwhelmed and how we seek God and whether I'm actually going to Wendy's to solve my problems, right? That's a silly example, but that's a pretty true one. We have places that we go to solve our problems. Our strongest desire isn't necessarily our deepest desire. Let's talk about lust for a second. The idea of lust is saying that I am going to slice off from a person their physical attractiveness, and I want to possess that apart from the responsibility of loving them emotionally and spiritually and physically. I want to possess this part of them and only have that, and I don't want any of the other responsibility for that. Why does God care about that? Because he cares about the whole person. He's saying, that's not yours. You don't get to possess that. That's why it's so, this, there's so many teachings, especially in the New Testament, about lust, this sort of thing that says, I want to slice off. I, I'm willing to, think about lust for a second. I'm willing, I'm willing to separate this part of that person and leave the rest. I think we can see when we look at that, but that's not good for our hearts. That's not the way that God has designed us to live. We are to see the whole person and realize that no whole person is ever mine to possess. It's not mine. If we can move towards getting this correct, having a a good perspective on this. We transgress into sin when we want to possess a thing without the responsibility of caring for it, stewarding it, and cultivating it. God is teaching his children. He was doing it in Exodus and he's doing it now. An important lesson. If it is mine to have, it is mine to steward. Let me say that again. If it is mine to have, it is mine to steward. I bear responsibility. This, by the way, friends, this comes, this is as small as the things that we get and as big as the relationships that we have. 
See, God gives us this example. In Psalm 31, 19, it says this, how great is your favor, this is talking about God, which you store up for your loyal followers in plain sight of everyone, you bestow it on those who take shelter in you. There's this really unique word, bestow. Again, one of those words, I'm sure you use that a lot in your life, right? To bestow means to put something where it is meant to be. To put something where it is meant to be. It's not just storing it. We're really good at that in our culture, right? We get storage units and we just put, we have too many things and we put them somewhere. There is purpose though that we step back to and we say, what if, what if we truly did believe that God is the architect of all and he's over this and the manager for all things and none of this is actually mine? That I am a steward of the things that I have and that I am to go to him in each and every way and say, Lord, where do you want this? See, what if there was a shift in the hearts of the people of God? where we didn't wrestle as much with whether or something was mine or yours, but instead fully submitted to God and asked him to just direct us to where they should go. Going back to our friend, Mother Teresa, she said this, the problem with the world is that we draw the circle of our family too small. See, Thanksgiving is this beautiful kind of lightning strike moment where all are welcome, right? Everyone's there. Everyone gets to eat at the table. It's this this brief tradition. It's a beautiful tradition that we have. And then we leave it. I have a friend I just talked to last week. He he was the manager at Toys R Us for years. And he said, I saw some of the ugliest parts of humanity. Or parents that are wanting to bless their kids. This isn't bad. But coming in and thinking that what's theirs was theirs. And he said he saw grown adults having fights in the aisles over things, friends. It's quite easy for us to lose ourselves. See, people that live this generous way of Jesus are the luminous reflection and attractive witness of the beauty of Christ, beauty of infinite love of God who gives himself and makes himself known to men and women. They reflect each according to their manner, the light and original beauty of the God of love. And when this is fully welcomed into the heart and into the spirit, it illuminates and guides the lives of men and women in their daily actions. See, friends, the question isn't, how can I be generous, right? No, the question is, how can I be a vessel for the generosity of God to be shown? Because here's the reality. Your human generosity will not be enough to heal this world. The stuff that you try and conjure up will not be enough to heal this world. Thank the Lord that our role is not to come up with that, is to be a vessel for His. Is to slow down long enough and listen to say, Lord, what is mine? What is here that shouldn't be? What needs are out there, Lord, that you're calling me into? What needs exist in me that I'm not being a good steward of right now, that I'm not pursuing getting my own needs met? How do I, how do I live in that tension? One of the ones that stood out to me this week was just this idea of self-talk. 
How often we have this really critical voice inside of ourselves that speaks to us. And I was just thinking about this idea of what if we, we stop for a second and we actually had the perspective, Lord, what about, what about words? Would you guide me and teach me as to what actually are mine and, and what isn't? Instead of just sitting back and receiving them, what, Lord, I submit them to you. Even the self-talk that happens, Lord, I submit them to you. Is that, is that supposed to be mine? They're yours. They're not mine. So what can you bring? I believe that we can each bring a willingness to be a vessel, to be the instrument of God's generosity in this place. Our friend Mother Teresa said, it is not how much we give, but how much love we put into that giving. And friends, you will not be able to put the adequate amount of love into your giving, into your generosity, if you've let go of God. So this is my hope for each of us, is that we don't let go. When I say commandments, I'm not just talking about rules. I'm saying Him. Stay connected to Him and see where He takes you. So we're going to close this this service today with communion and some worship. I'm going to pray for us. We have a few different communion stations. There's one in the back here. There's one in the front. There's a few upstairs as well. As we worship, we invite you to come up and come back to your seat, and you'll just take communion when you're ready in your time. We will receive it, his body broken on our behalf and his blood shed for the forgiveness of sins and friends. This is about relationships. So I pray that you just spend some time coming to God and listening. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you in the name of your son, Jesus. I confess, Lord, that I let go sometimes. I'm afraid to admit it. I'm ashamed to admit it sometimes. But Lord, I submit to you the truth. I put my hands on things that are not mine to have. I try to keep and hoard things that are not mine to have. And I, I need you. I need your guidance and your care and your support and your truth to inhabit my life, Lord, because I need to get out of the way and just be a place for your generosity to live and be experienced in this world, Lord. May each of us be a vessel of your love. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. In the crushing, in the pressing, you are making soil I now surrender you are breaking new ground in the crushing in the pressing you are making new wine in the soil I now surrender, 
are breaking new ground So I yield to you and to your careful hand When I trust you I don't need to understand Make me a vessel Make me an offering Make me you want me to be God I came here with nothing but all you have given me Jesus bring new wine out of me in the crushing in the pressing you are making soil I now surrender you are breaking the ground oh. you are breaking the ground so make me a vessel make me an offering make me whatever you want God, I came here with nothing but all you have given me. Jesus, bring new wine out of me. Jesus, bring new wine out of me. Oh, Jesus, bring new wine this morning as we leave from this place that we would be a vessel of God's love and generosity everywhere we go. Thanks for being here today. You're dismissed. Have a great week.